Ah, sneaky, sneaky. I see how you got to be the number one contributed to organization on GitHub. <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. Engineers have watched over 2 million hours of Frontend Masters videos to upgrade their skills in the latest best practices in frontend development and Node.js. Popular video courses of theirs include courses on Advanced JavaScript, Angular 2, React, API Design with Node, and Functional and Asynchronous JavaScript. Many of their teachers have even been guests on JavaScript Jabber. Check them out at frontendmasters.com. Hey everybody, and welcome to JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel we have AJ O'Neill, Yo, 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 taking back the internet right here at the Microsoft offices. That's right, we invaded. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, um, and we're here with Dan Fernandez from Microsoft. Do you want to give us a brief introduction? Sure. Uh, name's Dan Fernandez. I'm the inspector general, if you will, of uh, docs on Microsoft.com. so uh, our new documentation site for all of our technical docs on Microsoft. So uh, I just want to give you kind of, uh, guys, just kind of a quick tour on some of the stuff we're doing. So... Um, about a year ago, I moved over to um, uh, our docs team. So I run a few of the actual teams that, that build the documentation for things like uh, Azure App Service, Visual Studio, ASP.NET, uh, C Sharp, um, uh, and so on, Power BI, so on and so forth. Um, but one of the big things we also want to do is kind of improve our website experience. So when we looked at MSDN, which was kind of our um, uh, previous experience, uh, it was legacy code. It was about 10, 15 years old, If and parts of it were, <laughs> were probably even older. Uh, things like page load times were, I mean, some cases were like 30 seconds. The way it was designed was to do actual, uh, it was dynamic and did SQL lookups. So things like a redirection, it would have to look through a redirection table before it would actually serve the page, which would basically block. Like just a number of things you kind of know not to do these days. And um, uh, the infrastructure was kind of designed to fan out and deploy. It was designed before the, uh, the idea of a cloud and um, even existed. So a number of things were, were really difficult. It was 300 on-premise servers. You know, uh, we serve millions and millions a month. Um, and uh, the challenge was the team couldn't keep up. So a bunch of teams just built their own sites. So the ASP.NET team built, decided to build their own site called ASP.NET. Uh, even more recently for their new version, they built docs.asp.net that was built on read the docs. Um, SQL Server built out some of their own pages. NuGet built their own pages. Uh, .NET Core, when it first came out, decided to build their own pages. Azure built its own web pages. It was all, over, Visual Studio had several, like the Apache Cordova team had a site called taco.visualtools mm -hmm. for Apache Cordova, taco.visualstudio.com. So, for a customer, it was really hard. If you're a web developer that uses a database and you want to deploy to Azure, well, guess what? The, and you had authentication. Well, our authentication articles were under in one, one different website. The SQL data articles were in another. The data programming li libraries, which are Entity Framework, were on another site, and that was on github.io. Uh, the reference site was on MSDN. Uh, the Azure deployment was either on Azure or sometimes it was in team services. So like literally the experience for our customers was you would go through six different sites or you just wouldn't find content and you'd be like, I can't find the article and it turns out it existed. Uh -huh. Or we do bad things like sometimes we actually duplicate articles and then forget about that we'd posted it in one. Right. So it's like this article is broken and it's actually been fixed because the team you know, belongs to this. And we basically shipped our organizational chart in our documentation. So what we want to do with docs.microsoft.com is kind of just clean the path, have a unified way to do technical documentation, and actually include things like uh, what we call a contextual TOC, which is a TOC that allows you to bring in articles regardless of what org shipped them, right? As simple as it may be, like it's basically a view of content, right? I want to have this content, maybe some of it's Azure, maybe some of it's Visual Studio, some of it's .NET, ASP.NET. Those are all different orgs. I just want to list them all together because a normal dev needs authentication, database, ASP.NET, um, and uh, some tooling stuff in Azure. So uh, that's just kind of one example. So, uh, you know, kind of comparing and contrasting a number of the different things on MSDN um, here, like it's just really hard to even find what stuff or, or products you want to do, like the how long does it take you to kind of find the things you want to do, and especially for a developer. In fact, we actually built kind of a new landing page that jumps to these, which is docs.developer.microsoft.com. Uh, 
which is kind of our four products. But then what if we just took a step back and said, what do devs really want to do and, and how do they want to build apps? So whether it's, you know, you're building Windows, bots, uh, SharePoint, Node.js, or even things like Java, which you may not have considered on a Microsoft website, Python, um, or, or gaming, or, you know, holographic. Uh, and then, you know, these are the things you normally kind of build an app for. And then what are the services that you can add? Maybe you're adding um, data in a second. Let me just pump the fonts because this thing decided to pick it. Oh, actually, I'm at a terrible font size. Sorry about that. That's, that might explain why. Uh, um, uh, a lot of the, the things that we mentioned with um, uh, the new mobile center. So I want an app that has synchronizes my data. I have a field sales, you know, they take some stuff and then it syncs back to the cloud. D beta distribution, device testing, as I mentioned before, where you want to test on 40 different devices. Analytics to make sure that it works. And then do things like continuous integration. So if I have multiple devs, maybe multiple geos, I want to make sure that people are checking in quality code, it compiles, right. it works, and so on and so forth. And so there's a number of things that we just look at, whether you're building your app or adding a service, and really taking more of a customer view. So the things you tend to not find are um, the names of the services, because this is kind of another confusing part where people didn't know, uh, what's the term hockey app? That right. means beta distribution, right? Like, like if you're a beginner, are kind of new to Microsoft offerings, you really just want to know, like, hey, what do they do for beta distribution? That, that's Hockey App and, yeah, that and those sort of things. And, uh, to your point about Hockey App in particular, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's a term, right? And it, it doesn't mean the same thing. You know, it doesn't mean anything to anybody if, unless they know what it is. Right. Um, you know, with uh, I hired a business coach, uh, and her big thing is um, explain benefits, not features. Mm -hmm. And so beta distribution is... Uh, benefit, you know, well, it's kind of a feature, but people understand what the benefits are of that. Mm -hmm. And so it makes a lot more sense, yes, to look at this and write your documentation to what are people looking for and not necessarily what do we call it or, right. or something like that. Exactly. The other thing that I find interesting uh, about a setup like this is that I think as developers in particular, mm -hmm. we really have this tendency to, we want to write the code, we want to solve the interesting problem, and then the next person that comes in that wants to use our code to solve the interesting problem, nobody wants to write the docs, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to do this job. And then when we do it, it's like, okay, I'll just throw it all in and read me. But actually having it well organized like this is really helpful as well. Right, right. And I think that's uh, one of the other challenges. And let's just kind of walk through a couple of uh, docs here. Uh, to just kind of show the experience. So one, again, it should be like really obvious. We have docs on these things and jumping through. Um, uh, a lot of times people don't know even what Azure is. So making sure that we have getting started guides, whether you're an IT operator or a developer or getting started videos is kind of the key. If you actually know kind of what you want to do, uh, one, you know, Linux virtual machines kind of top here. Um, uh, and we'll go through some of these uh, just kind of these articles, but one, making sure things, like simple things, like all the documentation is available, uh, downloadable via PDF. On this left side, um, you know, there's some... Yeah, I'm going to stop you real quick. Sure. Because we're, we're looking at this, but our listeners are audio only. Right. And so um, basically what, what he's done is he's gone through and he's just kind of clicked through the hierarchy of things. So he clicked through to Azure and then Linux Virtual Machine documentation and is is just showing us some of these aspects of what's available and then yeah over on the left side of the screen he's now into a a, a search bar or filter bar or something so go ahead yeah so one of the challenges is you know there's there's some human hesitation of clicking enter because you know the page is going to reload and it's going to take three seconds and you don't know if it's going to be kind of crap results and we kept kind of fighting with this from the user experience perspective and given that it's such a a simple TOC, we actually filter on the client side, so it doesn't even do you know a, a callback. Um, so we can basically filter, and let's just do a search for... What's, um, what's that written in? I'm curious. Uh, I mean, obviously JavaScript, but uh, I think we're just using jQuery, and there's some places where we use, um, I believe, React, and then some libraries for mobile. Because uh, back to our other experience, um, other key things that we wanted to do, accessibility. Accessibility is huge, and if you turned on, you know, the, the totally tester, um, this should hopefully all pass. Um, Is that a plugin for, for using Chrome? Uh, uh, no, it's actually like uh, just a JavaScript uh, um, 
uh, script marklet that uh, from uh, our dear friends at Khan Academy. But it basically gotcha. does the, the color testing, which is great. So uh -huh. like whenever you need to jump to, uh, and again, you kind of have to do it on every site. Um, oh, interesting. Okay. So it's so it totally kind of just jump through a one one Y because a one one Y is accessibility. Yes. Um, uh, so Khan Academy uh, published it. It's just kind of a great way to test college. But there were plenty of examples where on our own sites we were just really bad from accessibility perspective. Uh, another one, localization. Certain teams, because every team decided to reinvent the wheel, we basically had, I would say, just within our cloud and enterprise team, so I'm not even counting Windows and Office, we probably had about 17 different uh, te engineering teams building websites for documentation. Like, okay, here's how we're going to present it. Maybe some teams are going to use Markdown. Some teams are going to use Embraco. Some teams are going to use Read the Docs. Some teams are going to use something total GitHub.io. Um, and then Holy do engineering cow. across it. That so, seems like a colossal effort just to bring that all together. I mean, how many versions did you have to sacrifice to make it work? I mean, well, holy th cow. This is, this is the biggest problem that we had, and each team has their own potential version, uh, the way that they're uh, specifying their markup. Um, in our old system, the MSDN systems, it was an XML file. In, mo in the more modern systems, it is Markdown, which is nice for um, uh, read the docs. Um, uh, it was it wasn't markdown. It was the other one, which I'm now blanking on. Um, but so we had to build basically transpilers to basically say, okay, if this and that, if you will, here's kind of the markdown uh, um, that we need to transmogrify uh, mm -hmm. to make everything kind of uh, one unified um, a set of markdown and then markdown extensions. So it's it's actually a huge engineering project when you think about it. Visual Studio is twenty five thousand pages. Um, uh, .NET Framework is has two hundred seventy thousand types. Like it's like wow. you start thinking about just the scale of some of these things. It's it's really big, and uh, other stuff uh, we didn't ever design MSDN for mobile. So like the page, if you ever tried to see our mo pages on mobile, we did everything using tables, right? Like uh -huh. old school, right? Everybody loved tables for layout. That's how we did layout back in the day, and we we didn't change it for a long time. Um, so now That's we okay. nobody's looking at this stuff on mobile. Uh, you'd be surprised. So uh, no, um, I'm I'm totally joking. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I'm guessing that more than half of your traffic is mobile. Well, our numbers were, I think, low because it was a terrible experience. Like nobody mm -hmm. like scroll right on a table, right. and when you're zoomed in, and even things like fonts were small. Like there was just so yeah. many things from a user experience that we wanted to fix. So now we have a responsive layout. So kind of as you go down, we go to the two frame, and then we kind of go to the the one frame right. as well. So. Uh, the whole TOC is here, of course, if you still still need it. Um, and then options, uh, things as well, you can kind of go through. Yeah, he's kind of shrunk it to the side, and the the TOC or table of contents kind of went to a drop-down, which was pretty cool. And then just simple things like uh, developers, you know, uh, we have light and dark themes. <laughs> um, uh, so for those of you who um, live and breathe inside editors and you hate seeing code samples in... Uh, non-dark theme. It's just a simple, I would call it a stupid Petrick, but you'd be surprised how many developers uh, actually ask for this in uh, user voice. And that's probably one of the other key areas. When you're building a large website, you have a lot of people that have opinions. Mm -hmm. That means both our engineering teams um, uh, that we work with, uh, partner teams that are doing, hey, I'm doing the content for this. I need this specific thing. Like um, the Windows team wants great colorization for XAML. Right, uh, uh -huh. and it makes sense because that's that's their language of choice. Uh, this team, for example, is the Azure CLI team with the the command line interface. We actually built a custom colorizer for them by taking analyzing their keywords and their parameters. So that way, instead of this just being kind of one solid, you you've seen kind uh -huh. of the monochrome. We can yes. actually understand and parse their keywords, and it actually looks a little better, I think, on this where you see both the blue and the green colorization uh, there. So it's how do you make like the experience of documentation beautiful is is a challenge and making sure that you can kind of uh, hit the constituents. And certainly for customers, we've obviously been talking to, you know, kind of our Azure advisors. We were at the MVP summit 
uh, the Connect event uh -huh. that happened just yesterday. Um, but then anybody can kind of walk up to our site, click click on the feedback in our footer, and uh, give us feedback for user voice. And actually, Dark Themes was one of the ones that had been on there, I don't know, probably three years, four years, uh -huh. that nobody had ever kind of dealt with, for lack of a better word. Now, the other really big thing on how we approach this is everything's editable and everything's on GitHub. I should say almost everything. There are some oh, teams cool. that what have just... What do you just, mean it's editable? I just clicked edit on the page. Edit. So um, I'm, on, I'm on the page for the Linux VM using Azure CLI 2.0. I click edit, um, and I see, you know, this is basically the raw. We do have some metadata at the very oh, top I see. for things like our search service. You can do scope search. But this is all just markdown. There's no, you know, fancy thing. So if you see some errors like, hey, no, you know, this, you guys forgot a, a, a comma in this JSON, you can submit a pull request, um, change this file, submit a pull request directly from here. I oh, love cool. that. That is very nice. And all the content also is Creative Commons, including commercial use, which is another thing. If you were a book author, you wanted to reference some of this stuff, you'd have to sign a contract with Microsoft to have like some th some small part of our reference APIs. Uh -huh. And and like the joke was, our documentation was more restricted than our open source products or content. Like it it was that bad. Now everything's Creative Commons, and we we kind of don't have to worry about it. Right. Um, so that I think is just huge on how we're embracing open source. And you think about it, all of these all of this documentation is available, and including the engine that we use is called DocFX, which is a GitHub is on GitHub and open source. So you can do kind of the same things we're doing here. Um, let me just show you another. Was that created by Microsoft, or is that something you adopted from? Yeah, Microsoft? it's actually something created by Microsoft. Uh, let me see if I can find a link to. Azure CLI, um, I'll just go back one page to the reference. Because, uh, you know, dynamically building reference is probably another thing that is, um, um, uh, dynamically building reference is one of, the, one of the most difficult parts. Oh, no, they took the edit thing off for now. But there was some bug that they had this. But um, I should be able to, this should have an edit button. Um, uh, the point that I was going to say here is our Azure CLI, and I know they had mentioned some bug over email that I didn't get to catch up on, but I guess they took it down. I think the, the big thing to, to take away with um, our reference work is, one, uh, things like the .NET Core framework, ASP.NET Core framework, the Azure command line interface, um, are all and our Java SDKs um, and our other language SDKs are open source. Uh -huh. And the way we are building documentation is by introspecting that that uh, that source or maybe those packages or so on using either uh, code reflection or um, uh, assembly package reflection. The point of that though is when you click edit on our pages for reference, you're actually changing you know the source, if you will. So if you make a change there, maybe you know it's as simple as a typo or maybe it's adding an example for something that doesn't exist. It actually is now going to improve the actual command line reference, let's say Azure command line reference, where there was some command line, um, I don't know, maybe it's to get a log file or something. You add it in there, and now everybody gets it. So you're, you're not just helping the documentation pages, you're actually helping build a better product. Uh -huh. So by adding examples. So that's really, I, I think, huge and something that we didn't have before that we wanted to do. And then another project was the, the project called Constructors. So um, this is an internal project that basically allows us to do uh, parallelized builds with Docker to basically make sure all of our examples work. So uh, it's a simple thing, but we do t thousands and thousands of examples if you think about all Microsoft products. And there is little to no testing, and there really should be a lot more things to do verifiability. Does the thing actually compile? Does it have the output that it should? Um, and even being able to tell customers, hey, you know, this build is passing. And then even being able to do things like verify what um, versions it works with, right? So if I'm trying to use an API and I don't know why it works, maybe it only works in 3.0 and above. We can actually pancake the code sample 
and put version, hey, I want you to try it in version 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, and so on, and then actually uh, present to customers, hey, these are the versions that it actually works on, as opposed to somebody having to document that, we can automate all of that. Mm -hmm. So, um, And we want to make that kind of a, a simple process for people too. So the, the moral of the story is customers, when they see code samples, they should be verified and know that they, they do in fact work. And then even some of the other stuff that's, that's probably silly is a lot of times people are copy-pasting samples. You couldn't even download the samples or it didn't include, say, maybe like using statements or, or what NPM packages were included or anything else. Now everything, because everything's going to be on GitHub, you can download just that sample or all of our samples and everything's kind of open source as well. And you can make sure that um, that verifiability is there. Let's pause for a moment to talk about our sponsor, Taurus. Taurus is a new tool for managing and securing the secret information that allows your app to run. You know the stuff, passwords, API keys, database credentials, all the stuff that gives access to the private stuff that you don't want anybody to touch except for your application in specific ways. Taurus provides a convenient way to store all this information in the cloud, and they can't access it because it's encrypted with material derived from your password, which is never transmitted to their server. So it's secured from them, from everybody else, but accessible to you. This means only the servers, development machines, and applications you've allowed can access the information. So make secrets management headaches a thing of the past and check out Taurus today. You can find them at devchat.tv slash Taurus. That's devchat.tv slash T-O-R-U-S. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think we've all been in that place where yeah, you try something out and then, oh, you don't have the right version of the language or the right version of the library or uh, things like that. And um, I've actually recorded screencasts and I didn't tell people what version of Ruby or Rails or mm -hmm. Angular I was using, right? And so there's some API that's just, that's just different, right? Right. And that's super, super frustrating because then it's like, well, why isn't this working? Oh, I have to NPM install this package and oh now it works yes or exactly stuff like that it's incredibly frustrating for the person that's trying to get started and sometimes people just give up and like okay this is too hard i'm gonna go try something else yep so um and certainly uh, i think it's a lot of um especially people that are kind of new to something how much friction is there in getting started like if you're going to give me 23 steps to like set up my environment that's right way too hard like i, I don't i don't know if i like you that much right <laughs> it's like i don't know if i want this commitment like can we yeah can we just go get talk over coffee if you will uh -huh. from a from a developer's perspective and that's right really, i came um, to your website first date you know we're yeah. not kissing yet yeah exactly <laughs> you want to you, you put your bits on my machine like uh, yeah. this is scary so um uh if you think about it that way, one of the things we're trying to do is could you walk up, could you, like browsers are great, could we build a system that you can walk up and try even our server side languages? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, uh, I use the example of D3JS, um, but there's plenty of sites that have interactive examples, even our Bing Maps JavaScript SDK, where you see live samples and it's a coding environment. Yep. Where you can, the sample's there and then you can play with it. Here's how I added a, a push pin. You know, here's how I did this specific thing. And then you can riff it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you were mentioning some of the ones on Plunker as well. Yeah. Um, so for our listener, we had a little bit of a snafu with recording. So we're re-recording this and we're kind of having the same conversation over again. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so um, on the Angular, angular.io, um, as you're working through, because they have a tutorial getting started with Angular. Um, and I think it walks you through building the Tour of Heroes, mm. um, which is their kind of example. And yeah, at any point, you can basically just, you know, click on the, the example that they have there, loads it up in a plunker. You have the code on the left. You have the whatever it puts out on the right um, from the HTML or DOM manipulation. And yeah, it just it's really nice because you get that visual effect and right. you know you showed us that here in the browser yeah the .NET team has built kind of the same idea where there's kind of the two panes the code pane on the left and that's using the Monaco editor that's using Visual Studio code and on the right side is basically output and really what we're doing is um, this is server side code so it's it's C sharp and I just type you know I'll change there's a console.write line which just basically writes a, a text to the console I change it to hello demo and click run and it compiles in the cloud and basically using a web API sends that and says oh here's what I want you to run here's the output of it and let me send it back uh, in the browser so if you think about how easy it is to, if you've never run your first line of C-sharp code, 
what we would tell you to do is maybe before Visual Studio Code existed, because that's probably the easiest way, uh -huh. uh, we tell you to download Visual Studio Community. Well, that's three gigabytes. Yes. Right? And the installation was an hour. Right? So now I'm four gigabytes into, and then it's really, really fast uh -huh. to run Hello World. But, you know, if you're just brand new to the language, you just want to take it for a test drive, the browser's a great way, and this is not that every developer's going to spend every day on their browser and the browser's going to take over things. That's just, I don't think that's realistic, but if you're just trying to test drive and get, get familiar, or maybe yeah. it's familiar with the new API, like I know this language, I don't know this API, let me just play with it. Here are some examples that are already built, and let me just riff on them, and really thinking about the browser as a way to kind of test drive things. So. Is this example done with Azure Functions or? In this particular example, it's actually using a, a web API that's hosted in Azure App Service. But Azure Functions is a great way that we're looking, especially for the cross-platform. So like what happens if I want to be able to do this for uh, Node.js and Java? And the only thing you'd be paying for is execution time, right? So if we limit the execution time, you're paying for, uh, you know, this thing probably ran in, I don't know, three milliseconds. Three mil, you could do 10,000 or 100,000 calls in three milliseconds and pay like a nickel or, or I'm not sure the actual numbers <laughs> to be fair, but it's incredibly cheap when you're just paying for the execution. So as, as people kind of trying to push the envelope of what you can do on the web, Functions is a great thing, right? It's like, hey, I don't want to have like 10 servers sitting there waiting to scale up or scale down. And because every person is paralyzable, I don't need to, I don't need to maintain any state for this, right? I just basically run and execute. And obviously, you know, in some cases you may want to maintain state, but really the, the state is the left side, if you will, because the compiler isn't going to maintain state. So yeah. there's just a lot of cool things that, that maybe developers haven't even thought of that they can take advantage of functions, especially once function supports. I think in they have PHP and Experimental, Node.js, Java, uh, .NET, PowerShell. Like just the number of languages grows, and it's just a great way uh, to get started with something simple. And I, I noticed before you clicked on this, there was the dropdown that was choose your language and choose right. your... Right, right. Uh, so, so you're kind of catering the experience towards based on what someone is familiar with already. I mean, there's like additional comments or additional pictures or examples or something. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it tries to, um, and you know, I think this is kind of the goal. And if you all know Rob Eisenberg from Aurelia, mm -hmm. or have heard of Aurelia. Uh, so I heard Rob... He's been on the show. Oh, perfect. I heard Rob about three months ago to help uh, improve docs.microsoft.com. So, um, you know, he looked at this and said like, ah, yeah, you guys have been looking at some of the uh, Aurelia stuff, because Rob did this, I think, pretty well when he was kind of doing the walkthroughs uh, of Aurelia. But yeah, I think the idea is, hey, how do you kind of talk and, if, and, and things like, hey, if you're familiar, you know, in Java terms, uh, you know, Maven is what NuGet is, for example, right. or uh, an NPM package, if you will. Yeah. So um, it's like I18N for programmers? <laughs> right. It's, yeah, it's sort like, of. Uh, 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 you you want to be able to do that, so it's kind of in your language. And then some of the other stuff, a lot of times we would assume everybody's starting from Visual Studio and, and Visual Studio on Windows. And, you know, given how much we're targeting uh, other platforms, so I, I think I was mentioning before, the Linux number... When Satya first announced that that the he did this great slide, it was Microsoft loves Linux. It was twenty percent, so that was basically one in five. It's already one in three, right? Oh, wow. So it's thirty three percent. It was what we announced, and you know, obviously that's a lot of growth in what was I don't know maybe a year or so from a, from a time frame. So um, we are finding people that would say like, oh, okay, you used to be the the Windows only company, yep. and now look how many tools you're building for Mac. Look how much support you're doing for Linux. And we just joined the Linux Foundation, for example, at the Connect event. Yep. So they are seeing our investments and they are being like, okay, we'll give you all a shot and we, we like what we're hearing, for lack of a better word. So we want to make sure that our tutorials also don't assume that you're using Visual Studio. Some people love command line or that you're uh, on Windows. And that's actually a big thing for us to, e even in a language that you would think was traditionally for uh, a Microsoft language like C Sharp, we're making sure that we uh, support Mac as well. Yeah, I think I think AJ does most of his programming using Blackmagic and Vim, right? Uh, yeah, it's uh, three quarters Blackmagic, one quarter Vim, and well, just- Vim is Blackmagic, I, I use Emacs, so. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, that joke's old. Never mind. Yeah. So, anyway, but yeah, I mean, 
you know, and everybody's exa- uh, history is different and their experience is different, right? right? So I kind of grew up using Ruby and now I'm getting more and more into JavaScript. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've been playing a little bit with more of the functional languages like Erlang and Elixir. Right. And so then it's like, oh, well, I'm going to hit this. Well, which of my experiences is it like, right? Right, right. What, what context is really going to help me here? I mean, I did some Java in college, but I wasn't that serious about it. Right, but, right. But yeah, so it's okay. Well, I'm pretty comfortable with JavaScript, so I'd hit the JavaScript, but somebody else coming from somewhere else, you know, where it's C++ and, you know, the the paradigm is just different. Yeah, It's like, absolutely. oh, yeah, you know, we can go there. So um, uh, so I think these are just kind of some of the examples on, on where we're taking uh, um, kind of the, the getting started experience and our APIs and making sure that things kind of uh, work well by default. And even some of the, I mean, this is just really, really specific things, but um, we go in here. Uh, even the way we're laying out our APIs. Um, uh, let's do Java API. Um, if you if you wanted to know basically how um, uh, we would basically have uh, Java packages before, if you want to find all Java packages that Microsoft shipped, there was no way because every team going back to that whole hey twenty teams are doing their things. The SQL Server team has had you know uh, Java support for a really really long time, mm-hmm. um, and then other teams like DocumentDB, uh, Azure started adding the, all these different APIs and SDKs, and it was you know, kind of scattered all over the place. So even from an API perspective, one of the things we're doing is if you walked up to, say, slash Java, slash API, you would see all Java APIs for the company. Now, obviously, we're still onboarding some because I mentioned just some of the challenges across the company. But you should be able to walk up and see what does Microsoft offer for all across the company for Java developers because we have things for bots, right? We have things for... um, uh, uh, Office and OneNote and um, uh, even Windows Windows development uh, specific things like Cortana um, uh, on the Java side and Android side. So there's there's a ton of things that we're doing, and it's really hard for a customer to even find all the things we're doing. And there's a number of things we're trying to kind of do and help with. One is, is having some way to kind of just filter everything else and then being able to sort. So, hey, I can sort by, say, platform, by release, and, and so on and so forth. So uh, obviously there's a ton of work, and it's always a, a moving train, if you will. But these, this is probably our biggest update since our original update. And we only launched in May. And then in November, we uh, basically um, yesterday, we moved all of ASP.NET, all of Azure, all of Visual Studio, uh, or Visual Studio 2017, I should say, and then all of C++ content over because there's still a huge number of <laughs> C++ developers. So, And in the future, we're add, uh, adding a number of different teams. Oh, and SQL on, Silver on Linux was the other one. So we have a lot more teams on board, Windows, Office, and uh, 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 definitely other teams like Dynamics and so on. So one thing that I'm wondering about, because... I mean, this is really helpful if you're working in some of the areas that Microsoft offers, you know. So if mm-hmm. you're if you're using Azure for, you know, back-end stuff or, you know, Azure Functions or whatever, um, you know, this is helpful. But a lot of folks are contributing to open source on their own. They have their own open source projects. They're right. working on open source. And, you know, I, I think I mentioned before that... Um, you know, documentation is kind of the thing that we all dread to do because mm-hmm. it's more fun to solve the problem than it is to talk about how we solve the problem. Right, right. So how, how do I get something? I don't know that I need something at this scale, but, you know, if I have a semi-complicated library that I'm pulling together, you know, what advice do you have for me to explain to people how to use my NPM module or my friend and JavaScript library that I'm pulling in so that they can make the most of this kind of thing without getting overwhelmed and going, well, I don't have time to put together the thing that Microsoft built. Right. So um, uh, one of the things we've done is open source at least parts of the engine um, that uh, do the the introspection of the code. So right now we support uh, .NET and Java. Um, We are adding Node.js and Python in the next few months. But the idea uh, is, hey, we can kind of spit out a you know a pretty reasonable um, uh, documentation just based on you adding comments into your source, 
right? It, it does the introspection, um, listens to a, a GitHub webhook, you set up uh, you know, the build server, and then it spits out HTML files to wherever you want. So that could be you know, an Azure storage account, a website you already have, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of like an automated, the equivalent of uh, the webhook listens, the CI process runs a command line, and then that part of that command line is, I, tell me what location to drop files. So it's kind of that easy for, for the basics. Um, that said, there's a number of things that we add that is probably overkill for most folks. So like on-demand build, uh, like if you were to use all of our stuff on-demand build engines that are just waiting for jobs because we know we have so many editing jobs um, uh, going or we're using things like Akamai, which is kind of overkill for folks um, on the CDN part. Um, uh, we do do inline annotations as well using LiveFire. So if you have kind of a, a, a question or comment here, this is probably one of the things we see about... 85% uh, of people just using the regular comments right. on the bottom of a page. But um, uh, sometimes you basically have a question, hey, on step one, part two, I have a question here. And like trying to do that in a comment versus trying to do that in the side note um, is a pain. But really thinking about it as kind of a service that we just add to the page. And probably one of the other uh, unique things that we wanted to do is make it, um, it's basically static content. So it's a build process that spits out static content, and then we do JavaScript kind of on top of it. Mm -hmm. So we don't, um, we know it's going to be static. The content isn't going to be changing unless there's a build, you know, somebody does a pull request right. to change it. And that really improves performance. It lets us uh, have a CDN in front of it, and so on and so forth. And it's more secure, potentially. Yeah, I mean, we're not running, I, I mean, obviously we kind of do light up some things like our, is this page helpful, control, and probably some of the other uh, silly things that we had um, from some of these controls before. Um, I didn't want to, um, I'm marking this, uh, whether it's true or uh, that I said it, it was helpful. Um, we would always have this control that basically gave you a yes, no, and it was almost meaningless data. It's like, okay, you said it's no, and I don't actually know why. Um, so we started at just, just simple things in user behavior where we said, hey, what are the things that could improve the documentation? Because you get the same options here, like fix inaccurate or outdated content, add additional information or detail, fix typos, add or fix code samples, and so on. And this actually helped us quantify, like, hey, are, do our code samples suck or are our code samples not working? Right. If you just have a yes, no, like a thumbs up, thumbs down, you tend to not get any comments. Just by adding the checkbox and uh, not making it too obtrusive, we actually ended up with people giving us more comments like, hey, step three of the source code didn't work, or right. you know, the third example didn't work, and it really helped us um, uh, get more feedback to kind of improve the quality. Yep. So it's uh, sometimes just the little things. That makes <laughs> sense. Yeah. So many ideas. <laughs> Did we re-talk about the the filter thing? Mm. I can kind of show the, that the, the how it was using in the docs because you 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 just mentioned how everything's rendered statically, but then you've got some JavaScript on the front end. And previously, we talked about what the JavaScript was on the front end, but I don't know if we yeah, talked. I don't yeah, know if that got time. dropped or not. So yeah, we can okay. definitely hit that. Yeah. So uh, just another thing that we added is we uh, you know every page has kind of a left table of contents, and so when you're on an article, you'll see at the very top filter, and what you see kind of from people's behavior is anytime you see a text box, there's that hesitation, like oh, this is going to take two seconds, or it's going right. to take me to another page. And, and uh, we didn't even want to have a submit here, right? So, so there's, there should be hopefully no uh, try and take away that, that hesitation that the results are going to suck. So it's kind of a type ahead. Um, you know, people have seen this before, certainly. But if you just start typing, say, VIR, you'll see all things that have, start with vert or, let's see, you know, uh, SSH. I'll see examples that say, hey, here's all the articles on creating SSH keys, disabling SSH. Right and so on and so forth. And it makes it that much, the more you get comfortable, like, okay, I'm not, I, I'm, I don't have to hesitate with using a web feature, the more likely uh -huh. you are to use it, and the more likely you are to like use it on a regular basis. Like, I know I can trust, it's like I can trust this feature, it's gonna do this, it's not gonna take, you know, five seconds or, or show an ad or, or anything like that, so. Yeah, yeah, and it's a function of it being static and then just basically accessing the DOM to see whether or not it should. 
Yeah, so we, we basically have a JSON file that represents this, and you can actually see it in our repo as well for how we structured this. Um, uh, and we basically traverse it using a, a search pattern. So, and because these aren't large, we actually do it on the, on the client side. Now, there are some cases where you actually want to do it more on the server side, mm -hmm. um, and, but still provide the type of head experience. And th but in this case, it's like, hey, you know, we kind of know the use case. There's never going to be like 10,000 items on here. We can, we can just search this. All right, let's take a break and earn a little money for the show by talking about Hired.com. Hired is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering, development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. They put you in control, fill out an application, and then top employers apply to hire you. Throughout the process, your dedicated talent advocate will also have your back, providing unbiased career coaching to help you put your best foot forward with potential employers. And Hired offers access to more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big brand names like Facebook and smaller emerging startups. The size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. And they help people find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. So if you're open to relocation, you can let them know, and they'll work that in too. Finally, if you use our link, you can earn double the normal hiring bonus. The normal hiring bonus is 1000 bucks, and they give you 2000 instead. So go check them out at hired.com slash JavaScript Jabber. Yeah, that's super nice because like you said, I, I get super frustrated, especially when I'm on mobile or like a hotel Wi-Fi. And it's like, I just want to find this small thing and I'm sure it's nearby. Right. And then it's like, oh, wait for 17 seconds and the Wi-Fi failed. Now I lost the content on the page. Yes, right. yes. And you click back. It's like, do you want to resend the results? And it's just... Yeah. It, I, there's just the more paper cuts you can just remove from developers' lives, the more grateful they are. And, and more whether it's trees you save by removing the paper. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Well, um, the other thing that happens is you hit back and then it's lost all of the state. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't tell you how many forms, like there should just yeah. be like a, a site where you can just shame terrible forms. It's like shameforms.com. It's like, how dare you lose my zip code address and everything every time you force me to uh, on a bad password um yeah it's or there's it's an bad. apostrophe in your name <laughs> and then like it comes back with every field blank and the error message at the top we're stuck in the 1980s <laughs> it's it's uh it's it's pretty bad for sure so and yeah. actually just one of the other things to talk about um so even just just for azure docs we get over i mean 100 around 200 community contributors a month Oh wow! Improving our documentation, so you can see the the trail of all the people that have actually c contributed to this article. Uh, sneaky, sneaky! I see how you got to be the number one contributed to organization on GitHub. <laughs> <laughs> Every single page on your whole website has an edit button with ten people that have contributed something. It t it turns out a lot of people wanted to make our docs better, and you know it's. Uh, if you build it, they will come, maybe, is the thing. And there's still a bit of a, the Wikipedia experience. In other words, the total number, if you were to look at the total traffic of how many people are visiting these pages versus how many people are editing, and maybe it's fixing a broken link or a code sample or whatever, it's a small fraction, right? But, I mean, a small fraction of a large number is, is huge, and it's making the lives of everyone better. And that's one of the things, obviously, we care so much about our communities and our MVPs, and we... Um, they are actually tracking, like, hey, who are the top contributors that are really making the lives of, of everyone? Because there's sort of this exponential effect. You help this specific article, you know, it, it probably helps uh, hit, I don't know, maybe 50,000 people a month. That's huge if you can help the lives of 50,000 people a month just by making, you know, one small change when, when hey, I got stuck here and I'm using Ubuntu and you have to do this if you're using Ubuntu. And, and that's really awesome. Cool. Well, I think we probably ought to start wrapping up. Okay. Um, but yeah, if, if people want to check this out or if they want to follow you on Twitter or see what you're working on or anything like that, uh, what are the best places to do that? So uh, check out, take docs.microsoft.com for a test drive. And my Twitter handle is at Daniel F.E. So that's uh, Frank Edward F.E. Okay. Um, now, one thing we do when we wrap up shows on our show is we do what are called picks and they're just shout outs about anything you want. Okay. So um, we'll go ahead and go first, but yeah, I mean, we've had picks for uh, coding tools. We've had picks for TV shows, movies, music, uh, you know, whatever. So uh, I'm going to make AJ go first. Good. Cause I just thought of something just now. 
So one thing I'm going to pick is the 2016 Ghostbusters movie. And I was a little bit worried about it, so I waited till I could see it for free on a plane when I saw it. But it, it turned out it was it was not it, it wasn't terrible. I was worried it was going to be terrible, so I never went and saw it. Me yeah, too. Well, yeah, I was, <laughs> me too. Because I, I thought there'd be like a lot of agenda in there and stuff, and uh, I kind of just wanted to enjoy my Ghostbusters movie. But it turned out it was like it was really funny. The humor was on point. Like the uh, like the 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 pointed pokey humor wasn't like offensive to any group or individual. I don't feel. Um, and yeah, you know the plot. They kind of didn't have one, but th- that's okay. I mean, that's just a movie in 2016. <laughs> I don't. I don't know that any movie true. that came out this year had a plot. True. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so I actually uh, I thought it was pretty good, and I'm, I'm sad that it didn't make it all the way to October in theaters for people to actually see it around Halloween. I thought it was weird they released it so early. It's like July or something they released it. Anyway, so there's that. Um, and then I w- am also going to pick uh, my company, Dapply. Um, if you've been listening to the show, you've heard me say this before. I'll say it again. Uh, we are doing both a crowd equity raise and a Kickstarter on Indiegogo. So crowd equity is like for the people, by the people kind of thing. For as little as 100 bucks, you can invest in the company if you believe in our vision of taking back the internet. Um, and then... The Kickstarter on Indiegogo is for our product called Cloud, which is an in-home cloud system. So it's not just storage, uh, although we do have a Dropbox clone app, but um, it, it's it's actually a, a developer platform and uh, a place for apps like music, movies, uh, etc. And we're kind of interested to see where all that goes. So um, check us out, daple.com. Very cool. Well, I've got a couple of picks here, too. The first one is um, I just want to... uh, I didn't realize how involved the guys from .NET Rocks were in us coming to connect. Um, You know, Barat, who is our contact here, he's done a tremendous job. And, uh, yeah, um, Carl Franklin's wife was actually out here, like, booking hotels and making sure we were taken care of. So uh, I just want to thank those guys and, and shout out to them. If you're into .NET... Um, they've been podcasting about code and stuff for a long, long time. And so uh, definitely check that out. Um, And then I'm also going to quickly pick um, another tool that I've been using. I know I've picked it on the show before, but I just realized how much more awesome it is. Um, And I'll give you a little bit of context. This is something I picked up from my business coach, but she said that I needed a master schedule for each week. And basically what that is, is it's just a template for how I want the week to go. And it gave me a lot more clarity on how I wanted to set things up and where I wanted to like do calls and not do calls with people. And so um, I set that up and then I went back into schedule once and that's my pick is schedule once. And I just set it up so that those calls were available during those times of the week and nowhere else. And so instead of saying, oh, we'll pick a time Anytime I'm not busy, now it's pick a time on Monday afternoon or Wednesday afternoon that's not already taken by somebody else. And then um, when I do my weekly planning on Fridays, then I'll just fill whatever time is not taken there. And so that's been really nice. And schedule once is also nice um, just in the sense that I have been able to um, hook it into Zapier. And uh, so then when we have a guest schedule, it actually emails them and says, hey, there's a Google Doc for you to edit so that we can collaborate on what we want to talk about. It emails the, the rest of the, the panel for the podcast, and that all gets set up, and it's just really great. So I'm going to pick that. And then um, if AJ can be evil and self-serving, then so can I. Um, go check out the devchat.tv conferences for 2017. Um, we have eight conferences set up um, covering JavaScript, React, Angular, DevOps, freelancing. Uh, we've got two on Ruby topics and uh, one on iOS development. So if you're into any of that, go check it out, devchat.tv conferences. Uh, the JS Remote Conf call for proposals ends on the 31st of December. So if you want to speak, make sure you get your, uh, your talk in by the end of the year, 2016. And, you know, the others, obviously, their calls for proposals end later than that. But, yeah, we're, we're excited about them. 
um, pull in a whole bunch of exciting and interesting stuff together. So go check those out as well. Um, uh, so uh, I guess my picks, this will be a simple one, but uh, I absolutely love it. It's a Chrome extension called Disable HTML5 Autoplay. And you will be surprised. Oh, bless you. Bless yeah. you. It's pet peeve here. It's so many times where you're like, oh, and I love that browsers now have the sound thing so you know which tab is making the sound. But, you know, sometimes you have multiple versions of Chrome and you're just finding, like, this will disable it by default. Even on when you go to YouTube, the video will not start until you click play. Oh, yeah. I need so that. I need it, that in my life. It, it is. It is. Uh, <laughs> it's made a difference in my life. Um, so, so that's my pick. And then I'll, I'll give a shout out to the Visual Studio Code guys because they have been doing some awesome, awesome stuff. Uh, if you haven't yet, take it for a test drive. The experience um, for coding in uh, Node.js JavaScript is, is fantastic. So um, they really do deserve some kudos. And it happens to be the top uh, uh, contributed product um, uh, at Microsoft. So the, there's thousands of community members that have contributed to make it better and thousands of extensions as well for any programming language. So um, even the Red Hat folks built the Java extension. So uh, there's getting a lot of love there. If you haven't, definitely try it out. Yeah, we actually, I'm going to plug a couple of episodes. We talked to Chris Dias oh, yes, and Eric exactly. Gamma in February. So if you want to check that out, you can definitely do that. And then we talked to, I think his name was Matt... Somebody at Build, and, okay, and we'll we'll put links to both of those in the show notes. And we're actually talking to Chris again today at Connect, and so we'll be getting an update on what's going on with Visual Studio Code. Yeah, there. Uh, if you want a fun tidbit to to tease him on, it, you know your product's successful when their latest release of 1.7, which adds, uh, if you've ever heard of definitely typed, it's basically type bindings for JavaScript popular JavaScript libraries. The new version of Visual Studio Code, before you had to download those manually, and then you got an editing experience. With uh, the new version of Visual Studio Code, it would dynamically search what NPM packages you have and try and download Definitely Type. Well, they Visual Studio Code is so popular, and they made so many calls on packages, they took down NPM. Sweet. The service. So they were like, you know, your latest version of Visual Studio Code was like a distributed denial of service. <laughs> so they actually had to, you know, uh, NPM at a blog post, Visual Studio at a blog post, and they're going to kind of tweak some stuff to make sure the next release is. But uh, <laughs> nice. yes, that's, that's when you know, one, you've, you've hit the big leagues. But uh, that'll be really popular because you get more uh, IntelliSense and, and type information um, from the editor. Yeah, I like I like Visual Studio Code mainly because, as I mentioned before, I'm I'm a text editor Emacs kind of guy, but sometimes I miss some of the nice stuff that you get in an IDE. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the IDEs feel really clunky to me. Right. And so Visual Studio Code really hits a nice balance there. So I'll yeah, back you up on that pick. It's got a lot of features, but it's still super lightweight, and it's got honestly the finesse that a larger company can give to a tool. Yep. And it works on TypeScript, AJ. And the TypeScript types can work with JavaScript if you use JSDoc. So you don't even have to use a blasphemous evolution mutinous. We have an <laughs> ongoing feud going over what JavaScript <laughs> is and isn't. Oh, anyway, um, <laughs> well, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show, but uh, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks, guys. This is great. <laughs>